Hey everyone, welcome to the Matchbox Creative, a podcast where we talk about ideas, inspiration, the creative process, and exploring our creative potential. Here we connect with creative people of all kinds and hear about their story, their life, and the experience, wisdom, and lessons learned along the way. I'm your host, Mark Daniel, and today we're talking with my great friend, Seth Abram. Since we are based in Nashville, aka Music City, I thought it would be only appropriate to kick off the show talking to someone in music. Seth is a talented musician and songwriter and the worship leader at the Church of the City in downtown Nashville. But besides that, Seth is also incredibly smart and knowledgeable in the areas of psychology, personal growth and development, and a personality system you may or may not have heard of called the Enneagram. How we choose to explore and express our creativity can be very personal, and so understanding ourselves can be a key part of taking our creativity to the next level. And I'm confident Seth can help us dig a bit deeper inside ourselves, helping us do just that. I think you'll find this to be helpful and challenging. So without further preamble from me, buckle up. Here's my conversation with Seth. Okay, it is a snowy Monday night here in Nashville, and... I'm here with my friend Seth Abram. Seth, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate you taking the time to come and talk to us. Absolutely, man. It's uh, good to be here with you, man. And then you're right. It's been beautiful today watching that snow come down. I know. It's actually staying on the ground even. <laughs> yeah. Can you tell us, like, because obviously we've been friends for a while and mm-hmm. know each other well, but can you give the audience, tell us a bit about, like, yourself and your background? Um some of your past creative pursuits and mm. what you're doing now. Yeah. Cool. Um, man, I could start anywhere, but I, uh, I mean, I grew up in Ohio. Like I just right. said, so some creative, I don't know if any of my, uh, life has come out of this or not, but I, you know, where I grew up, where is the home of the dumb, dumb suckers and the etch a sketch. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. So <laughs> there's some creativity in my hometown. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, you know, I grew up in a, a pretty conservative, uh, Christian home. Um, and I went to a private school and, uh, was decently sheltered growing up, but moved away, I think 18 or so, um, moved away to in Indiana. I was going to say India. That'd be very different. <laughs> that would be a very different story. <laughs> but moved away to Indiana and, uh, spent about four or five years there. Kind of, kind of coming into my own, if you will. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I actually, so I'll backtrack a little bit. I, I grew up, my my uh, my mom's family are all jazz musicians. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I music, I grew up listening to music all the time, and jazz music was playing every day, you know, which is still my favorite thing. When the, the cards are down, that's what I'll listen to, you know. I didn't know that about you. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I, I don't play it very well myself <laughs> but uh but I love that stuff so I grew up around music um yeah and then um you know I started playing guitar when I was 16 and you know there's, there's lots of ways to name creativity but music has been one of the way, one of the things primarily for me so um I didn't singing in front of people was actually the biggest fear in the world of mine when I was younger and so I okay. didn't I, I actually got asked a lot because I was in a small town 
And they thought, well, if this guy plays guitar, maybe he sings too. And I got asked a lot and I always turned it down because it sounded like the scariest thing in the world. Um, And then it was, it was years later that I finally started to do it under very strict stipulations and uh, requirements. And I don't know, it just kind of fascinatingly enough, you know, the thing that I was most afraid of turned into um, basically what I've done for 15 years, um, doing the singer songwriter and, uh, uh, I, you know, I work at a church as well. So doing that for most of my life now, which is fascinating yeah, because, when it came out of fear, right? It's crazy. Right. Well, because you sing in front of like the church, like about twice a month right now. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I, you know, I did the singer songwriter thing too. And I sang all over, yeah. honestly, all over the world in a lot of different areas and arenas and in front of thousands of people. So yeah, it's been a fascinating experience for me, but, um, yeah, creativity for me has primarily been about music and writing songs. And I remember I actually did art when I was younger, but one of my favorite drawings got taken away from me when I wasn't paying attention. What? And it, it was detrimental. It was it was traumatizing. And I stopped drawing that day. <laughs> what? I think if it's not too traumatic, we need to... <laughs> I kind of want to hear more of that story. Like how how and why was it, this drawing taken away? Well, I mean, we were supposed to be paying attention, right? And this oh, this teacher kept on asking me, hey, what are you doing? Can you stop doing that, right? And I had spent so much time into this specific drawing, and I I right. was about to be done with it. And, I, and, I, and I, I was almost finishing the drawing. I think it was days of drawing this thing. And the teacher oh, took wow. it away. And so it was like this thing I spent days of work on was taken away, and I was embarrassed in front of the class. Oh, so, wow. so it was like... I don't think I can do that anymore, you know? <laughs> right, because I don't want to endure that public shaming again. Yeah, yeah. So I do sort of what the... associated art, like drawing with shame <laughs> in a sense. Oh, I probably man. did, you know? Yeah. That's that's terrible. Yeah. Do you remember so, what the drawing was? I have what, no what idea. No idea. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That is traumatizing. That was a long time ago, though. In front of people, that was so scary for you. I mean, I think, like, for most people, that's an obvious answer, but yeah, um, assumptions. sure. Um, I think it was just the idea of having all of the attention on you. It just feels like a lot of weight and a lot of pressure. Right. And that means, well, I have to perform and that means I have to do this. I have to, ex- I have to exceed an expectation. Right. And, uh, that just feels like a lot of weight to bear and carry, you know? Right, And I don't even think at that age I really went down that far on the road of thinking about what it was. I just knew this is scary, you know. Right. Yeah, when you're a little kid, when you're younger, you don't understand all of the, the whys and, and the reasoning behind it. It's it's just this intuitive sort of instinctual reaction that's yeah. just like, I'm not doing that. Yeah. Yeah, I just knew like that would put all, like would shine a spotlight on me and I didn't want that attention. Right. Because would you describe yourself as more introverted or extroverted? Oh, I'm so much, I have so much introversion. Um, I mean, over the years, it's morphed a bit, but, you know, as as I became a performer of sorts, you know, uh, I I have the ability to turn that switch on. And so I can be super uh, personable and and sign autographs and do that, all that (laughs) stuff afterwards. You know, I did that for years. But but then it's like, especially after you do all that, it's like, oh, 
No, I need totally to go. Drained. Yeah, I need to go be myself for days now. Nobody right. bother me. <laughs> I've used up my total battery. It is completely spent. Do you think that people are primarily extroverted or introverted? Um, you know, actually, I tend to think based on life experience and from um, just reading stuff about personality over the years um, that it potentially can maybe change. Um, right. Yeah. I mean, I th- you know, we might get into a little bit of this about talking a little bit more about personality, but I think, yep. I think we change and I think we grow. And I think um, if we're growing in health and wholeness, then I think uh, maybe we don't need to get the things that we needed in the same way that we used to get them, you know? So right. maybe we, maybe we don't need to only be one or the other. And I also have heard if you start extroverted, you end your life becoming more introverted. And if you start more introverted, you end your life becoming more extroverted. That's interesting. Yeah. Part of the reason I ask is because I, I feel like I grew up very introverted. Hmm. And as I sort of went through high school and then left home and like went to college, when I sort of found my own, I became much more extroverted. Mm-hmm. And so when I do personality tests now, like I test completely extrovert, hmm. but I still find that I have some very strong introverted tendencies. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can easily spend a whole day by myself, like reading and doing quiet activities and that kind of thing. And it's not draining for me. It's like, it's healing and it's, it's needed for me, yeah. but I can't do like three days of that. Sure. And sure. on the same note, I can't do the, the other version too. Like I love having people over and I love being around people and meeting new people, but I can't do that nonstop either. Yeah. I mean, I'd like to think a, a healthy person kind of uses both, right? Because you you find who you truly are in both expressions. Yes, I, I would agree with that. Yeah. Because I think I think the creative, like the myth of creativity is that all creatives are the introverts, right? Yeah. Like they're these sort of like quiet people that sort of like hide in the room and like come up with something brilliant. Mm-hmm. Right. And I don't, I don't think that's really true because I think, I think everybody can be creative and I totally. think it's, an, it expresses itself in different and unique ways, like regardless of your personality type. Yeah. Cause I, I totally with you and you, you had sent a few different questions that I, I uh, had some of this stuff I would had in my mind about, but I think creativity is about, context and i think uh culture kind of speaks and informs us informs or tells us what what creativity is but i think everyone i think everybody is creative can you go back to what you touched on before um where you were talking about the world sort of viewing different types and valuing different types of creativity um because i thought that was an interesting point i'd like to kind of unpack that a little bit more yeah Um, yeah. There's something there, and I'm, I'm um, you know, you know, in this, in the, I think, in the same way that maybe, um, like a country might value, say, for example, the U.S., we value what pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and accomplishing things and building your own business and capitalism and all these kind of things, right? Right. And so there's personalities that are more inherent that just kind of have that built in within them, you know. And so that person is maybe more seen as, yeah, we value that guy, you know? Um, And so I think that's a bit problematic if you don't, I mean, this is, this is also where there's a, there's a book called, I think it's called pause. Um, I 
I think that's the book, name of the book where it's it's actually all about introversion and how our culture has not honored introversion. It's honored extroversion because that's what America across the board honors, you know, and respects like it, we got to get right. stuff done, you know. Um, but uh, the creative, not the creatives, but the in, the introverted people are, are more likely the ones that are sitting and thinking more deeply about stuff, you know, more quiet yeah. and less likely to be uh, chiming in and have more thoughts. And um, yeah, so I just think cultures, um, yeah, I, cultures really, really value. There's a collective sort of value that we that we uh, place ahead of other things, I think, that depending on your personality, you might be overlooked because you don't iner- inherently sort of have that characteristic, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the book, I was just Googling it. It The book that came up is... Oh, no, um, it's not pause, pause, it's quiet. Oh, quiet. That's the name of the book. <laughs> oh, yes. Here we go. Quiet, the power of introverts. That's what I meant. Yeah, pod. yeah. Yeah. yeah, that sounds fascinating. Well, that kind of leads in nicely to like talking a little bit about the Enneagram. And so one of the things that you're really, really well known for is you've done a lot of learning and a lot of teaching about this per- a personality system called the Enneagram. And mm-hmm. so some people listening will know exactly what we're talking about and some people will know nothing about it at all. And so could you kind of give a really sort of 50,000 foot view of what the Enneagram is and like what makes it different and unique mm-hmm. and what's fascinating about it for you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, yeah. I feel like I could go in a thousand different directions here with this. I know, but... right. That's, that's kind of broad. You <laughs> feel free to focus which is, in. Yeah. Which is great. Um, yeah. So it, usually this is described um, as a system of personality. Like you said, that names nine unique and fundamentally different patterns of thinking, feeling and acting. Um, and this is great, but I find this to be quite incomplete because the purpose of the tool is, uh, for, um, transformation. It's for self-awareness, self-knowledge and growth, uh, and becoming who we, who we truly are. Um, so it's a two-part tool, that of personality and potential. Um, right. Yeah, because it's a it's a framework. Like I said, it's a framework for transformation. As it actually names that our personality is not who we are, which is maybe crazy to think about for some people. But um, personality is actually a sort of a, a construct that we developed in order to be safe in the world growing up, um, and then it's what we idealize, what we sort of identified with um, when we were younger, with our kid brain, you know. Um, that was still developing. And then we sort of see it as the whole of who we are when it's actually a very small part of who we are. Um, But yeah, the the Enneagram kind of, when people usually first learn about this, it sort of breaks down human character into nine fundamentally different human components or capacities. Um, But the idea is that we actually have all nine of these perspectives or lenses within us. But one of these capacities is sort of our default setting so it's it's what we do when the chips are down. It's what we do when we're not present. Um, uh, one of the teachers I've learned a lot from, he says that your Enneagram type is what you do. Is uh, How does he say it? 
your Enneagram type shows up when you don't because it's, you know, it's what you're, it's what our automatic setting is, you know? So this right. is, it's so the Enneagram is basically a study of automatic patterns that tend to take over our life when we are not present. So it's really right. a tool for presence, being present, being more present in the world, if you will. Yeah. I think part of what's fascinating for me about the Enneagram is that there's a lot of personality systems where you sort of take the test or the assessment and it kind of gives you the label and it says, this is who you are and mm-hmm. sort of this is a list of characteristics of what you are and how you are perceived. And I think what's fascinating about the Enneagram is that it's a lot more broad and it's a lot more expansive of view of humanity. In yeah. that you've got sort of these nine types, but each type is sort of like you mentioned, you have an overlap of like these types. And so when I, I remember one of the first times I took a test for it, it doesn't just say, okay, you're like this number but it kind of like lists the impact and influence of each number on your personality. So you're like predominantly maybe one of these two types, but then it lists and ranks all of the others as well. Totally. And so it kind of speaks to that, what you were saying, that you're not sort of being pigeonholed into like you are a two or you are an eight, but more like you are predominantly this but you also have these levels and flavors of like all of these other numbers as well. Totally. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I think you're right on, man. I, you know, the idea is that the number nine actually sort of represents a whole and a complete system. So everybody has all nine of these beautiful perspectives that might represent a whole human within them. But the idea right. is that we idealize and use only primarily one. Because it's what right. it was that sort of um, defense mechanism or strategy that worked best for us growing up. So when when we're not present, when we're most reactive, this is how we are reacting in this specific style. But right. but when you can learn that specific style of reactivity, when you can like catch yourself in it, then you can um, sort of pull that lens out and start using other op- options. You know when when those other options are needed, you know? It's sort of the, what's that, what's that phrase of like, if you see the world as, if, if all you have is a hammer, then you'll, you'll see the whole world as, as nails. As a nail. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. So if, if uh, you can pull out that lens, you'll start to see there's other perspectives you can use and not only react in one way that you've always done your whole life. So, yeah. Yeah, man. Well, I think one of the things too that's unique about the Enneagram is that each of the types, it's, the way I read in one of the many books I've read over the last couple of years on it is that it's more like each number is a color. And so that there's Mm -hmm. like, so say if you're a seven, if you compare that to the color blue, well, if you tell me what blue is, there's like a million different colors of blue. Totally. I'm a graphic designer, so I can (laughs) list all the Pantone colors for you that blues could be right. There's like literally hundreds of different blues. And so the analogy is sort of, this might be your predominant type, but there is an infinite range of possibilities within that greater category. Totally. Ranging from like a very healthy version of that type of person Mm -hmm. to a very healthy type of version. And we all like sway and and move back and forth between health and unhealth. And I think it's fascinating because it kind of gives a more realistic and nuanced view of humanity, but it also kind of offers a path forward. Like you mentioned transformation and i think enneagram does a great job of kind of like saying this is who you are and your limitations but like this is also your potential Mm -hmm. and how you can lean into those like inherent strengths and weaknesses and sort of 
lean into your strengths, but also like learn to grow out of those weaknesses so that they don't, you know, push you and influence you in the same way. Yeah. I, you're right on, man. I mean, the idea is that whatever your gift is specific to the, the dominant type you have, um, that gift is what you use, you can overuse. And so it becomes your, your weakness. You know, it's, it's kind of two sides of the same coin. So specifically, if we're looking at any of the types, like say type nine, um, which values and has a specific sensitivity towards peace and harmony. Well, if I'm forcing that in the world or if I'm manufacturing that, uh, what that actually tends to show up as, as is avoidance. Because uh, that feels like peace, right? I'm I don't right. I don't feel anything. I'm I'm okay. I'm by myself over here. But that's not real peace. That's an imitation of peace. So that's that's forcing your gift, you know. Yeah. Right. I feel like I'm kind of setting you up by using nine, since like I know <laughs> type nine. Yeah. Um, I'm a three for those people who have no idea, haven't met me before. Um, <laughs> and so those of you that know the enneagram are immediately now forming opinions about me. Um, <laughs> Do you, like, to go back to an earlier thing that you touched on, mm -hmm. um, because the Enneagram is all about, really about, like, sort of self-awareness and understanding yourself and understanding how you think and your strengths and your weaknesses. Um, how, in your experience as a musician, as a creative person, like, mm -hmm. how does you understanding yourself, um, how does that help your creative process? Does that make That's sense? That's a good a question. question. I think so, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, we could get really specific about the, the Enneagram type that I am predominant in, but we don't have to do that. But, like, um, for me, I would say it, it, uh, the more I know myself, the more me I can be, um, the, more, the more I will be able to express something fresh and unique in the world. And I think that's what people are looking for. I think people want authenticity because I think authenticity um, sort of mirrors somebody else's capacity and ability to be authentic as well. You know, right. it, it's sort of, that's what I think art and creativity at its finest can do for us. Why it's universal, why it universally speaks right. is that it names the most human parts of us, my pain, you know, or my joy or the deepest parts of us. Like, oh, you feel that too. Thank you for naming that in me. Now I can say it out loud, you know? Right. Um, but I, I don't know if that can happen unless I'm being as me as I possibly can be. So I, I would say, how does that, how does knowing myself translate into creativity? Well, I think it does incredibly, uh, it's, I think it's incredibly important because if I can't be truly me as an authentic as I can be, then I, I won't be able to create as real and as true art as I possibly can be that will um, speak as clearly as I can speak to mirror other people's real selves as well, you know, and wake them up for what they can do and what they can be in the world, you know? Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think we, there's been plenty of examples where you can tell that people are kind of not being their authentic creative self, where they're mm -hmm. trying to give people what they think people want. You totally. Know I think I think you can totally tell when an artist, you know, of any medium is sort of really being true to themselves and their personality and leaning into that versus, you know, some of the artists that are 
have recognized this sells, like people will buy this, respond to that, you know, and there's that whole tension between being authentic as a creative and quote unquote selling out, you know, to pay the rent mm-hmm. and to create work that is going to be like commercially successful and maybe not artistically and creatively successful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, even, even, um, just at levels of high excellence, you know, when you really value something, you're going to perform at the highest capacity you can. And I think that um, inspires people. You know, right. if you're, if maybe you can be, I mean, that's the different thing too, is you can also just be as you as possible and not even sound that great. But if you're really unique and really special, you're going to stand out. Right. You know, so there's there's something to say for both ways. But, man, if you can hone your craft, but also be as you as possible, I think these are the people that stand out in the world as world as as creatives like the John Mayers or the, um, you know, to each his own. Uh, right. Absolutely. Yeah. I just think these are the people that worked hard to really figure out their, themselves, you know. Right. Like they worked hard on both sides of the creative Mm-hmm. spectrum like they're working very hard on like understanding who they are and being secure and comfortable in that right. and sharing that with the world but also on the like technical like mastery of their craft yeah you know yeah. because there are definitely artists on both sides that are like very original and personal but the craftsmanship and the technical skill is not always quite there right and then there are other on the opposite side where it's you can see like a painting or a piece of music or, you know, something like that. That's, you can recognize the skill, but the heart and the passion and, and the personality is just doesn't, you don't resonate and connect with it because they're not really investing themselves in it. Like they're not yep. taking that creative risk. They're not putting themselves out there in the same way. Yeah. I think that's it, man. And I wonder if that's the combo. I wonder if that's the special sauce right there of being you as pos- as you as possible and like honing in on whatever it is that you want to express yourself through, whatever that modality is. You know, those maybe maybe that's the 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 best combination right there. Who are you and how what's the modality that you're going to really craft and hone in on? And I wonder right. if that's I- yeah. Yeah, and finding that medium that really resonates and mm-hmm. speaks to how you want to express yourself. Because obviously there's so many different ways that you can express that creativity, but you're not, it's impossible to be, to master every, right? It's kind of which of these mediums make sense to you, you know? Like, I mean, I remember a point in high school where I sort of had to decide between music and art, and I don't know how I figured this out at 14, but... I realized like, I don't think I can do great, do be awesome at both of these things. I want to, I need to pick one. Hmm. And so I, I kind of set aside music and I focused on art, hmm. you know? And so I think, I think a lot of people like you need to sort of find what is that creative medium that you can be excellent at and, yeah. and focus on that. Yep. Yeah, man. You know, and honestly, I think that, the, I think <laughs> going back to the Enneagram, I actually think that can help us sometimes because I do see the Enneagram um, as naming sort of nine specific uh, things within our souls that we're sensitive to. Right. So if there's a sensitivity in 
like what makes our hearts beat fast that I, I kind of think the Enneagram names that stuff and, and we can go into that like peace and harmony and wholeness and inclusion and, and, uh, uh, unity. I mean, yeah, I do lead with the nine type, but, but all that stuff is, that's the, like, when I'm free of my patterns, that's the stuff that comes true for me. That's when I'm in my wheelhouse. That's when I'm in my, when I'm in flow, you know, that's the right. stuff that I bring forward in the world, uh, that other people feel loved by, you know, when I'm, when I'm able to do that stuff, you know? So I think, um, the Enneagram shows us like, uh, our obstacle and our opening to our gift, if right. you will. Yeah. Can you give me a, an example of that? Sort of like maybe how you have experienced that or how you've seen someone else who has sort of come to that understanding through the Enneagram, through like their understanding of their Enneagram number? Um, yeah, I can give you just, it's, I mean, obviously it's just the easiest for, for to just name my, my stuff. So, right. um, you know, if we're looking at type nine here, it's about peace. You can just say peace. And one way to, to feel like I get peace is avoidance of conflict. Um, and so that's not really having a specific opinion of my own is one way that can show up. And so if you look at my art, I have put out two EPs and a full length album. If you look at the art that I first put out, the first two albums, if I'm honest with myself and I look at it, it was primarily music that other people thought I did well. I didn't know what I wanted to do yet because uh, a person who leads with the, the type nine patterning um, doesn't know what's important to them because they they are their focus of attention is on the agenda of other people. Uh, and right. so they don't know what's important to them. Um, actually, they confuse what's important to them for what is important to other people. Uh, but then, as you see, if you look at my, if you listen to my music, you can kind of see the evolution of me finding out what's important to me and actually saying hard things. It right. was primarily about love and fun stuff. And then my full-length album was about, oh, this stuff really hurts bad. And I'm going to write about it. And, uh, and I'm going to share this with the world. And, uh, yeah, I, I mean, that's, that's one example, I guess, if that, if that translates and makes sense. Yeah, I think um, so. I mean, I yeah. think, like, for example, I'm a three, and so threes are very oriented towards, like, achievement and success. Yeah, and efficiency. And, or the appearance of success and efficiency. Yeah. And so I think, for me, a challenge has always been to give myself like I am always so wired for like just getting things done and like, like checklists and, and feeling like I'm being productive with my time. And sometimes as a creative, that is a huge block because I'll be in the middle of trying to get into the flow and just create. And there's this little voice inside of me that it's just like, you need to like move on and move on to the next thing. Like mm. you've spent an hour on this, like you should be done by now so that you can move on. Mm -hmm. And it's, like giving myself permission to just play and to just like explore mm. thoughts more fully and explore like building something out and just like letting that happen and like shutting down that sort of need to be productive and efficient and kind of move on to the next thing. Totally. So I think every single number or personality type has that particular chat, like a unique creativity challenge that is sort of like 
hardwired into them that they have to sort of recognize and learn how to overcome. Yeah, that's good, man. I like that that perspective, sort of a a challenge to creativity or like or like the real creativity versus an imitation of it, you know. Right. Yeah. I like that. Well, I don't really have a good way to kind of transition to this next question. <laughs> um, but one of the things that I did want to talk about is that uh-huh. um, one of the things that has always kind of impressed me about you from like the first time we met and from the different times that I've seen you like leading worship is that you're very, very good at just being present and being focused in the moment. Mm. And like sometimes when you're like leading church, you'll do something just as simple as like, okay, let's just take a, like a moment and just like take a couple deep cleansing breaths and put both of your feet on the floor and just Mm -hmm. like be present in the physical moment and like quiet your thoughts and things like that. And in an age when there's like so many distractions and there's so many things that can like pull our focus like this way and that, I think that is something that is just really, truly important. Um, and how I would love to kind of hear your thoughts about how do you, why do you think being truly present in the moment is helpful and important for us Mm. as creative people? Yeah, that's good, man. Um, thank you. First off, uh, of course, you know, I think, I think it's easy to get caught up in the, like we, we've, we've talked about it a little bit already, an imitation of somebody else. Um, when we're trying to be creative and you, you can start to sense when somebody's not being authentic and it, it it's fun, kind of feels dry and it feels, um, I can't think of the word, but yeah, I, I just think, you know, the present moment is where flow <laughs> is. Right. I think that's where spontaneity is. Um, yeah. And I just think, I think, well, I mean, if we're talking about God, if God is, where is God? If God is anywhere, I think God is in the present moment. I think that's right. God's presence is right now. Um, and so I think where our truest, I think this is where our truest, most expansive self resides. Um, so, you know, as a musician, I think of uh, the idea of chords and scales um, as this groundwork that we have to, develop right we have to learn scales and we have to learn chords um but this is the difference between somebody that is just staring at the sheet music and somebody that doesn't need sheet music anymore and can improvise i but you can't improvise without learning the basics without the fundamentals with the chords and the scales so personality is like the scales it's how we learn to navigate the world but if we get uh, stuck in looking at the sheet music, if we get stuck in our personality, thinking that's all we are, well, then we can't actually be in the present moment. You know, we're only looking at this, the, uh, the sheet music. We, we're stuck on that, and we can't be in the present moment, which is spontaneous, which is, like, it's not that we lose ourselves, but we know how to be fluid. We know how to go with the flow. We know how to be in the moment. We can, we don't react. We respond. Right. Um and so I think, um, yeah, learning how to be present is vital to real authentic creativity because you learn your stuff, you learn the tricks of the trade, but 
man, when the lights are on you, you don't perform it exactly as you learned it because then people are going to be like, that wasn't the real thing. You're just playing the sheet right. music. You do you with what you learned, you know? Yeah. Um, and that I think that's being present in the moment. But I think, so that's the, that's the interesting thing, right? I think is that you have to learn how to do both. Um, you have a personality, but your personality doesn't have you. Or you learn the chords, but you don't only play only the chords. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. You don't only paint like somebody else paints. You paint the way that they taught you, but then you paint like you paint. Right. right? I think that is what it means to to be present with your art, you know? Well, it, one of the things you said kind of made me think of the phrase muscle memory. And mm. I feel like in a lot of like, when I was doing music, one of the things that was sort of that I, that I learned was when you practice and repeat things over and over and over, like there becomes this sort of muscle memory where you sort of know what to do next without really thinking about it. And you can rely on, you've got sort of that base level sort of instinct and knowledge. And then when you're in the heat of the moment of the performance, you can, you know, rest on that. And then more of the personality and heart and authenticity of the performance can come through so that it doesn't totally. feel just like you've re you're recording it, you know, like a machine. Yes. That's, I, you know? that's right on, man. That's exactly what I mean. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. It's the idea that I can just freely do this rather than I have to stay on the guidelines and not mess up, you know? Right. And you've got, you, it's sort of so like it builds in this, this confidence and this just kind of a lot, like, I guess confidence is the best word that you can just rest on hmm. that will hold you up when the adrenaline and all of these other things are happening at the same time that you can yep. sort of still build that art and that performance having a foundation and then still letting your personality and who you are come through. Totally. Yep. That's it. So what do you think are some ways that we can all get better at being present in the moment? Um, like what are things that you've learned mm -hmm. to, to help you do that? Yeah. Um, you know, I think a simple presence practice, um, and this can mean any, any number of things, you know, something like meditation. Um, you know, I think a lot of people, when they hear that word, it can, you know, it can, um, resonate a lot of different ideas, but meditation can be a, like a, a, a sit down practice, or it can just be, um, just consciously aware moments that you are trying to, um, be present with what you're doing in the daily moments of life, you know, um, like as simple as I'm doing the dishes, but I'm not letting my mind drift to something else. I'm just being with the dishes. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm doing the dishes and I'm looking at the dishes and it's, it's kind of the idea of like, this seems mundane, but what if there's depth in the mundane? Like I, 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 I study a lot of, I read a lot of psychology as well. And you know, our brains are taking in bits of information at crazy amounts of information at it's, you know, per second. Um, and it would literally be, it would be overwhelming to our brains if we didn't have like built-in ways that we sort of put information into boxes that we don't need to look at anymore. Uh, so like if I passed by a tree 
And I had to think every time, what is that? Oh my God, what is that? You know, (laughs) my brain already has it figured out. That's a tree. So I walk by it literally without thinking about it. I don't even see a tree. I mean, this is where we can get in talking about like subconscious and the unconscious. But trees, you know, like that title, it's in my subconscious. Um, But what if I could, what if I could, the idea is that um, if I can develop being more, being more present, I can see this tree for the uniqueness that it is. It's not the same as all other trees, you know? Um, so that I actually think um, being present, learning to be present is a way that we can um, be with the person in front of us as they are, as they truly are, and see them for their uniqueness and not um, the idea we have our, in our heads about them. Um, I think when we're actually present with people, we're more likely able to love them and see them for who they truly are without our preconceived ideas. Um, anyway, uh, I just like, I, just simply like being with something uh, and noticing that your thoughts are going somewhere else. Um, right. So a meditation practice, whatever that might mean. But um, I also just think we have five senses for a reason. Um, so just like once or twice a day, check on your five senses, like whatever you're doing, what do you smell? What do you taste? What do you hear? What do you see? What do you feel? Um, and I think those physical sensations, uh, can bring you back into the moment. I think those are built in, those are hardwired into us for a reason. I think they're actually presence uh, reminders, uh, for us. Yeah. So basically slow down and be cognizant of one sense and sort of just one thing that you're looking at or yeah, not trying to like be overwhelmed by all of the different sensory information and trying to like zero in and take time with each, each thing that's coming in. Yeah. Well, why do we, why do we objectify anything? It's because we're not actually with it to see it for the unique thing that it actually is. You know, um, I just, you know, we, we can we can desensitize ourselves to anything and everything. Uh, yeah. gra- I think gratitude comes from being able to be present with what, what you have. That's why, I forget who it is, gratitude is about learning how to uh, have, you know, the simplistic, I, the simplicity, you know, is enough. Because if I can see it for what it is, then I don't need anything else, you know, because right. there's infinite depth to this thing if I can actually see it. Right, and just appreciate it as it yeah. is right now, not yeah. what it could be. Yeah, and I think every person, every human being, is an infinite mystery. Um, and uh, one of my favorite authors says, uh, mystery isn't unknowable, it's infinitely knowable. And I think a person, every person, is a mystery. And also infinitely knowable. Exactly. Knowable. Yep. <laughs> that's really cool that's yeah that is a whole lot deeper than i expected but should have expected <laughs> knowing you <laughs> like one of the main things i heard from the very beginning too is just the danger of multitasking hmm. and so i mean we're so i mean preoccupied in trying to do 17 things at once and i've found for me that as i've tried to lean into being more present in the moment that I've tried to stop 
multitasking like at every mm. moment of the day, you know? And so if I'm listening to music, like I try to, I try to take time where I'm just listening to music and I don't have to be trying to like listening to music and doing seven other things at the same time. Yeah. You know, or if I'm like making dinner, like I can turn off other things and I can just enjoy just the act of, you know, making dinner and cooking and like just the simple tasks and kind of just mm. being in the middle of that, you yep. know, and like turning things off and not feeling any kind of, and I mean, especially as a three to go back to that, not feeling guilty about, you know, sacrificing productivity. It's just mm -hmm. like, Oh, I could be doing these four things at once. I'm like, yeah, but you won't be doing any of them well. So totally. how about you just do one? Yep. Yep. What would you say are some symptoms or danger signs that we're not doing a great job at being present? Um, yeah, this one's, a, I feel like this is pretty easy is, you know, just your, your regular, uh, automatic autopilot, you know, your, your re your normal reactive way of being in the world. Um, you know, and this is a funny thing. Like if you think back at an entire day, right. Right. Um, ask yourself how many of your choices and we make how many choices every day how many of your choices were actually consciously chosen consciously done or how many of them were, were you automatic pilot right um mm. so i think um yeah i just think that's one <laughs> really obvious way to, to notice when you're not being present how many times were you not present today well how many times did you just automatically not even think about what you were doing um, right, you just reacted. Yeah, yeah. And, and sometimes that's okay. I think that's fine. I think that's the maturity actually of every human most of their lives. But um, I also think this is just where reactivity, reactivity is based in um, patterns. And that is what personality is. It's a set of patterns that work for you, that you think is you, that you've, you've idealized and have uh, settled on most of your whole life, you know? So I think uh, whenever you're like, being um, triggered, per se, you know, like when like something causes you to, hey, what, you know, like <laughs> reactive, right. like you're not you're not present in that moment at all. That's not that's not presence, because um, presence is actually about responding. Presence is always about responding. It's about this stimulus happened, and I let it hit, and I'm taking a breath. And now I'm responding out of, from a deeper place, from a deeper place than my normal reactive patterning, you know? Right. That, so I think reactivity is a huge sign as well that, that uh, you're, you're lacking in presence for sure. So a lot of what I'm hearing is just breaking out of the pattern of your personality, breaking out of the pattern of your instincts and mm -hmm. your natural way of responding to things. Yeah. Yeah, and I would say, yeah, yeah, I would just say that's a, you know, these things that are life, you've been doing them your whole life. It's this water you've swam in your whole life. So to even be able to start noticing them takes time. It takes practice. Yes. It takes rewiring your brain, you know, your your neural pathways. Uh, and so, like, be kind to yourself. Be, be uh be careful, but be just loving and, and, and uh, compassionate, you know, 
because it, it just yeah. takes it really takes time to start noticing um, your own automatic pilot. And and I think a lot of times people can be like, ah, I'm doing it again, man. And that right. I just think negativity reinforces what we don't want. I just think it's about seeing ourselves and saying, oh, yeah, that's well, that's what I've normally done, and that makes sense that I would keep doing that. But um, I want to also see what else I'm capable of. So I just think it's about being compassionate towards ourselves, and it really does take time. Like if you go to the gym, right? How long does it take yeah. you to see results? Well, the same thing with your emotional patterns and your mental patterns. It's going to take some time to sort of undo your what you've always done and to yep. start seeing results in a different direction. It takes practice. It really, really does. Practice, well, really practice doesn't make perfect. It makes, um, what's the saying? Progress. It makes permanent. Oh. Or, yeah, or progress. Yeah, yeah. From a neurological well, I mean, perspective, yeah. Right. I would say, too, that a big part of it is just being realistic on, it, like, breaking into steps and really mm. just recognizing the pattern is a really significant first step. And totally. Like setting yourself up to, you know, expecting that you're going to immediately start recognizing patterns and changing them right away is probably not realistic. It's right. probably more compassionate and realistic to say, okay, I'm going to try to be cognizant and just recognize, you know, these patterns. And once you can get to that place where you're recognizing them, then you can realistically move on to the point where you can stop them in the moment and yep. and move on and try something different. Yep. That's it, man. Yeah. Where can we direct people to if they wanted to learn more about this to kind of learn more about the system, maybe like a book they should read or what resources do you typically point people to when they've not, they don't know anything about it and are interested in, in learning more? Yeah. Um, so if you're looking for anything from me specifically, you could find me um, on Instagram at Integrated Enneagram, uh, at Integrated Enneagram, or um, two friends and I have a, uh, our own podcast. It's an Enneagram podcast, but we talk about spirituality and psychology and all these other things in the world. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but that's called yep. Fathoms, uh, an Enneagram podcast. You can find us on any podcast. Uh, podcasting platform um but regards to like beginning learning about the enneagram um yeah one of my favorite just really solid uh books is called the essential enneagram from david daniels uh it's a really great book um also you can go to just the the enneagram institute.com there's some really solid content there as well yeah very cool yeah, and I've been listening to you guys are just getting ready to start uh, season two mm -hmm. um, of the Fathoms podcast. And it's, I have to admit, sometimes you guys cover some stuff that <laughs> I feel like I need to stop and just <laughs> have a drink and just listen to it again. <laughs> yes. um, yeah, that's because, why it's I mean, called it's, Fathoms. Yeah. I know, to the deep, deep. The depth, the deeps, yes, the deeps. The I've tried listening to it when I'm doing something else and I can't because <laughs> it's, it's too deep. I, uh, I just, that's it. Like that's drowning. it. Well, we're, 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 we require you to be present. <laughs> yes. So you can practice what we've been talking about yeah. by listening to stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's, it's amazing, but yes, it's, it's not for the faint of heart. That's so you've funny. Been 
That's fun. Um, but it, it's great stuff. I feel like you guys cover a lot of really great content and yeah. have some really great questions. And I'm just like, oh, <laughs> man. Um, so super good stuff. Um, I wanted to close with just a question that one of my friends has been consistently asking me. Mm. And I'm like, this is a really great question. I'm going to steal that for my podcast. Um, so Jeff Miller, if you're listening, shout out to you. Um, and so the question is, what are you involved with your life right now that is truly challenging and pushing you as a creative? Hmm. I know, right? It's like he asked me this at lunch and I'm just kind of like, holy cow, I need like 10 minutes just to think about this. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, push, push pause on the record button there. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I guess maybe two things come to mind. You know, I, I really do think why or how authenticity comes out of us is 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 pain you know when uh when we get beneath the uh the imitation of of our lives you know um so i think i i don't know i look at the difficult moments in my life and i see what can come out of that what can i how how can i use that how can i like use that for for good (laughs) if you will right um, to sort of inspire other people, or again, like I named earlier, like I think a lot of some of my favorite art is when I can say what other people don't know how to say okay. for them. You know, I think yeah. that's what a lot of writing about pain does for a lot of people. It sort of um, mirrors their capacity to to at least go through grief, experience grief. You know. Well, I think that's why when you look at the list of popular songs, sometimes like breakup songs are the mm. most popular songs yep. because the artist is expressing words that, you know, other people don't feel like they're, they don't know how to pull it out of them, but yes. they're like that exactly. Is it's how what I, I need to say. And you're saying it for me and now I can sing exactly. it. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Um, yep. but I also, you know, my kids, I've got three kids and they honestly, they're some of my greatest teachers. They show me what it's like to live free. And without reserve and uh, even just like not tamping down my emotions. Um, right. You know, like, I mean, you don't want to be a, an infant with your emotions. Right. But, <laughs> but I think, um, I think a lot of our creativity is, is found in being able to express ourselves freely. And I think a lot of that is about our emotionality as well. And I think the world tells us and teaches us to tamp things down. Um, right. Yeah, so I just I, I see a lot of inspiration from my kids and uh, their uniqueness. They're they're really coming into their own, you know, and uh, they they inspire me, man. I mean that room. I don't remember who said this quote, but I remember I've heard it multiple times. I'm sure you have too. That we are really great being creative as a kid, and then it sort of gets taught out of us, and then we spend our whole life trying to to find it again. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I think so. it's a. Uh, Who's the painter? I think it's Pablo Picasso. Yeah, Pica- yeah, I, that's it. Picasso says the first half of life is trying to become an adult. The second half of life is trying to become a kid again. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, man. Well, Seth, thank you so much for taking this time with us to just to just talk and just talk about just some of the things that you've learned and experienced just in your creative journey and the things that you've learned through the Enneagram. You guys, if... If you're at all interested in learning more about the Enneagram, I will include links to those books that 
Seth mentioned and one or two others that I've found useful as well. Seth, thank you so much. Um, My pleasure, man. Thank you, man. And there we go. I knew it would be a deep conversation. It usually is with Seth. But anyway, seriously, a lot of great thoughts and ideas to reflect on. I hope, like me, you're inspired to continue learning more about yourself and the gifts and obstacles to your creativity that are a unique part of who we are. And I hope we all continue to find ways to be more present to help us tap into our creative potential. Check out the show notes for links to the books we mentioned, to the Fathoms podcast, and to where you can find Seth on social media. And that's it. Episode one, in the can, as they say. This podcast is almost brand spanking new, so let me know what you think. I would love to hear from you. Leave me a message or a comment and share what you like, ideas for content, or thoughts on who to interview next, or just say hello. That would be pretty cool, too. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at The Matchbox Creative. And if you like the show, please consider sharing it with someone or writing a quick review on the platform you're on. That would be super helpful. Thanks for tuning in. We will see you on the next episode of The Matchbox Creative. That was really fun. Yeah, dude. That was um, great, man. You, I, I thought you were fantastic. Sweet. Seriously. Thanks. I'm like, this is super, super new. So, I mean, this is like <laughs> a creative, like sort of leap. For me, um, I've like been listening to so many other people's podcasts. I'm just like, this sounds really fun. Yeah. And then finally, I was just like, um, I just need to pull the trigger and like give this a shot and go. Um, so I'm still figuring out as we go, and um, we'll see what happens.